0: Welcome to the Ostrich Technique podcast. I am one of your hosts. Uh, My name is Ananth Sriram. And I am Chris Louie. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we have a podcast, Um, Chris. So why don't we just go into a little bit of intro about who we are. Obviously, we know each other, but for anyone who is listening, if there's anyone out there, um, my name is Ananth. Um, I'm 26 years old, uh, currently based out of Philadelphia and, you know, I've been a, a big sort of Star Wars, Marvel sort of comic book, sci-fi. I really enjoy movies. Um, and yeah, I mean, this podcast is at least for us when we were talking about, it was just a way to sort of talk about the things we like, you know, um, and just sort of bring other people in on the conversation. Um, Chris, do you have anything to add to that? You can maybe give an intro on yourself.
1: Yeah. Um. I'm all, I am, you know, same age as Ananth. Uh, we actually met back in high school and kind of bonded over, um, you know, comic book movies and, you know, sci-fi movies such as Star Wars um, while we were in high school. And, you know, our friendship has kind of blossomed out of that. Um, I'm based out of New York. Um, Ananth has moved away from me. But uh, nevertheless, we still you know, keep in touch and always talk about these type of films and you know, TV shows and different projects. So, um, this podcast has been something that's been cooking for some time and, uh, glad that we're finally able to, you know, start this.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and yeah, he, when he says moved away, I used to live in New York. Um, I mean, that's where I grew up for most of my formative years. So, um, I mean, hopefully I'll come back at some point, but you know, um, but yeah, no, I'm definitely, I think we're both super excited to start off on this. Um, and, you know, you're probably wondering why we call it the ostrich technique podcast. So it's it's actually a funny story. Um, you know, when we were coming up with names for the podcast, um, we were thinking back to how we met. And, you know, one of the really formative teachers we had was our physics teacher. Um, we'll keep him anonymous for now. But basically, one of the catchphrases he had in our class, which really stuck with us was the idea of the ostrich technique and not to practice it in our class, which is basically putting your head in the sand and forgetting about stuff and, you know, not the, and not doing your work. Um, but you know, when we thought about it, it was kind of funny that it sort of fit the idea of our podcast where, you know, this is, the world is complicated and, you know, challenging. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult world out there. Um, we all have busy jobs, busy lives, and you know, sometimes it's nice to stick our head in the sand for a little while and get away from it all. So that that's what our podcast is. It's really just a way for us to escape and hopefully, you know, for other people to join us on this uh, little ride of ours. So yeah, I mean, the so what we had envisioned at least for the first set of podcasts were uh, just us talking about the Marvel movies. So, you know, easy way to generate a lot of content without a lot of thought and planning. Um, but you know, 30, 30 plus episodes of content is already planned out for us. Just talking about each of the Marvel movies. So what that entails is we're going to watch each movie and each episode is going to have Chris and I talk through the, each movie in detail, give our thoughts on it. Um, and you know, after, at the end, we'll give our rating on the film and, um, call it a day chris anything you want to add there
1: yeah no i think you covered it and that's uh you know that's how we'll kind of talk about and structure these podcasts and um you know hopefully have a good time hearing our thoughts
0: yeah so i guess chris do you want to just dive into you know first movie movie number one
1: yeah movie number one kicks off the marvel cinematic universe um Released in 2008, Iron Man 1, directed by Jon Favreau, starring Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, Terrence Howard, and Jeff Bridges. Um, So to give a little synopsis of the film, it's um, from IMDb. After being held captive in an Afghan cave, billionaire engineer Tony Stark creates a unique weaponized suit of armor to fight evil. Um so, very generic. And I think, as you'll see um, later on, the films get a little bit more detailed in their synopsis. But, um, you know, I guess little did they know that this film would be such a blockbuster hit um, and really launch this entire franchise that, that changed the landscape of, you know, filmmaking or just, you know, Hollywood franchises and interconnectivity and, and whatnot.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, definitely. I mean, it's 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 sort of like Star Wars in that way, right? You know, where, um, you know, same thing with George Lucas, where he started, he made this movie not thinking it would really amount to anything, uh, just sort of an experiment, and uh, obviously that blossomed into a multi-billion-dollar franchise. And same thing with Marvel, you know, where it, 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 this was just like you know they gambled everything on this movie, uh, Marvel Studios. They put all of their characters up as collateral, uh, to to fund making this movie. And of course it was a massive hit and set the foundation for 30 plus movies over, um, 15 plus years of filmmaking. And, you know, a rightful, rightfully so you said it really has changed the landscape of movies and Hollywood for sure. For, I mean, some people can argue for better, for worse. Um, we'd like to think it's for better. Um, you know, we, we really enjoy the movies overall. Um, so I, I think it's, it's, it definitely, I mean, it's obviously a seminal starting point for this entire franchise, and um, yeah, looking forward to jump right into it. So, Chris, why don't you start off and giving your... I do want to just start off with overall impressions of the movie. Obviously, we've seen this multiple times. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, This is a top five Marvel film for me at the moment. Really really loved it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's a it was a great starting point, um, a very strong starting point, um, mm-hmm. you know, for not only this franchise, but the, the greater cinematic universe. Um, I felt it, overall it was felt very grounded um, or at least grounded enough where you could see, OK. Even though this technology is a bit more advanced, I could see this happening, especially with the visuals. Yeah. Um, I, I thought the story was, you know, good, you know, great acting and really um, you know, getting Robert Downey Jr. back, especially um, you know, from mm-hmm. all the things that had gone on, um, it's you know, he was born into this role, um, yeah, yeah, for sure, and uh, yeah, I think the direction was also good, especially you know, John Favreau, known as really the guy who you know created Elf up until this point, so mm-hmm. overall, I think it was a solid film. So, Ananth, what do you, what do you some of your overall thoughts?
0: Yeah. I, I, I mean, I definitely concur. It's a strong film for me. I wouldn't say quite. I, I mean, it's, it's definitely in my top 10, um, maybe controversial that it's not in my top five um, though. I think the way I rate rate my movies is a lot also has to do with the enjoyment of the film, seeing it in theaters. And um, we'll obviously get to movies that are in my top five, but this is like number six, which is it's painful because this is such a good movie. um and you know i i definitely i think i agree with almost everything you said you know it's such a a grounded start to the franchise um and you know it's it you know watching this movie especially having seen some of the more recent marvel movies um not to not to give a prelude to everything, but like it, 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 it's kind of a breath of fresh air to even come back to it. You know, I, I don't know if you felt the same mm-hmm. way.
1: No, yeah, no, I totally agree. Especially with you know the newer ones, how so CGI they are, and you know a lot of complaints about that recently. And then you yeah. go back to like these real set designs, and then these mm-hmm. you know physical costumes. It's it just like you said, a breath of fresh air. It's it's so refreshing. Um, yeah, yeah. To real see something and feel it, you know, instead of like, oh, mm-hmm. that's clearly computer generated. So I I agree with that.
0: Mm, yeah, no, I it's it's yeah. I think I think you put it well. It it really just does feel like, um. I mean, everything feels tangible. It feels like you could reach into the screen and touch it. And I think that's, I mean, it, again, not to really jump ahead on some of the more recent movies, but it's it really feels like something that we've lost and. Something that, I I mean, I wish that we would come back to um, in the Marvel movies. Um, And I think for me, on top of that, like, not even just the grounded feeling of it in terms of, like, the set design and all of that stuff, which is all excellent. But I think there's a real focus here on characters. And I think that's really the secret sauce of this movie. Where, um, And that's really sort of an overall theme in this movie for me, that it's really those one-on-one interactions between, say, Tony and Pepper or Tony and Obadiah or Tony and Roadie. I mean, obviously, all the relationships centering around Tony. But the all of those one-on-one interactions for me really just felt so um, well-written and well-characterized. And they felt like real people. It didn't feel like I was reading a script or anything. Um, obviously, it felt a lot of improvisational. I, I mean, uh, if, if if any of you have read the stories about this, the making of this movie being like a total mess and having the stars basically just writing the script themselves uh with John Favreau on the set and basically improvising um it it does have that looser feel but it also it, it kind of feels like organized chaos you know i mean it it we obviously can't tell it with the movie it feels very polished and all but i, I don't know if you feel the same way chris
1: no i, I agree with you 100% on that um yeah. it's kind of crazy that they produced such a a solid film on basically No script (laughs) kind of just general. It's kind of like curb your enthusiasm in a sense where like they have a general Mm -hmm. idea of, you know, how things should play out, but up in, you know, in terms of the actual dialogue, it was pretty, it's pretty free, free flowing. Um, Yeah. For sure. Almost organic, you know? So
0: yeah, exactly. And I I mean, I think that really speaks to just the strength of everyone in this film. Like it's, you know, Mm -hmm. Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Jeff Bridges, pa- uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, all world class actors. I mean, they, they. I think Gwyneth Paltrow and Robert Downey Jr. have
1: Oscars. If I'm not, I think they do, right? I have to check on that. But they, yeah. they have definitely at least been nominated at, at, to some.
0: Yeah, yeah. Some, I mean, I'm sure. So. Even I'm pretty sure Jeff Bridges has been nominated as well. Uh, if I'm, oh yeah, not yeah. Mistaken. Yeah, I mean, they're all world class actors. The point point being, so they're they're all just excellent actors and clearly they have improvisational chops as well. So it's, um, it's great to see. Uh, yeah. Okay. It doesn't look like Robert Downey jr's won an Oscar, but he's been, definitely been nominated. I, I'm almost positive Gwyneth Paltrow has, but um, anyway, we can, why don't we, I guess, start talking about the film. I mean, we're talking about it sure. vaguely here, <laughs> but we, why don't we just jump yeah. into act one here? So yeah. um, Chris, why don't you start off? Give, give your yeah. thoughts. We can, I guess, just go by as the movie goes along. So we start off, obviously, yeah. with ACDC, back in black, yep. um, driving along in the middle of um, the Middle Eastern desert. Yeah. Was it Afghanistan? Was it Iraq? I, I don't yeah. know. Um, well, I mean,
1: middle it says East. Afghan. Middle East and the desert. Yeah. Oh, it say <laughs>
0: Afghan. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I no, don't. I, okay. Gotcha. So, yeah. So they're in the Afghani desert uh, driving through. Um, but Yeah take it away what do you what do you think there
1: yeah well first of all i want to say like i when i was you know compiling my notes for this i try to keep as much of a this is the only marvel movie i've seen type of mindset because it's hard you know mm-hmm. us you know have seen all 30 plus already to not like oh well you know this really set this up later on the later on in the, like these movies but um right yeah just to to uh start off i loved the way how it opened um, mm-hmm. in the, uh, you know, where they're sitting in the vehicles, you know, in a little caravan, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's very, you know, very lighthearted. They're joking. Um, You know, one of the, uh, the soldiers asks, you know, can I take a picture? And yeah. then, you know, you know, Tony says, oh, don't throw up the peace sign or whatever, don't, no gang signs. Um, yeah. and he's like, you know, just, just <laughs> kidding. You know, I'd be out of a job without, you know, whatever this, Peace. and then, you know, yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the soldiers taking a picture has trouble, you know, operating a camera, which is, you know, mm-hmm. little, little, uh, little fun there. And then all of a sudden, boom, car in front of them explodes right. and you get yeah, right to yeah. the ambush. So, yeah. um, I think that, yeah, that juxtaposition, like right at the beginning is like really, really mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, for
0: sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's funny you mentioned juxtaposition because that's, I think the exact word I have in my notes as well, that it, it really is a great juxtaposition of that sort of the goofiness and the sort of lighthearted nature of the beginning um, with then you get into the super serious aspect of it where it, it becomes like almost a war movie. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think you really hit the nail on the head there. It, it, it's, I think this again, this what make this what makes this movie feel different, I guess, within context. I sort of looked at it at a different approach where, you know, I have all of these, obviously, we both of us have all of these superhero movies in the back of our heads as sort of context there. Um, so for me, I was sort of looking at how movies uh, how these movies have really progressed. And I think one of the things that I've noticed more and more is that, all of these movies, at least nowadays, a lot of these superhero movies start off with like a big action set piece to sort of set the scene and show, oh, look at our cool hero doing something super cool. And I think what's so cool about this setup is that it, it it's very, it not, not that at all. Uh, obviously, Tony isn't a hero at this point in the story, but um, it feels distinctly personal and it's focusing on the character of Tony and it's sort of characterizing him as opposed to characterizing this or sort of showing a cool superhero moment. And I think that really sets a tone for the rest of the movie that is really focused on the characters. Obviously there's going to be great action in it, but it's really focused on these individuals um, specifically Tony. Um, Yeah. And you know, I think the, the whole, I, I mean, it's really interesting to also watch it, you know, we're in 2023 watching 2008 references. So like talking about MySpace, having a point and shoot camera, to take a picture as opposed to say using an iPhone or a a smartphone in general. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think, I think the juxtaposition of that whole tone of him being so goofy and lighthearted and, you know, sort of breaking the ice with these soldiers. And then, um, you know, then they all probably break their lives and die. But um, (laughs) yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. But um, just, yeah. So then you get that whole, yeah, that that all happens, and then you get title screen Iron Man, and then you jump back to the past, and you have this sort of award ceremony where you yeah, get sort 36 of 36 hours earlier. Yep, 36 hours earlier. So you get uh, that expo dump on who Tony Stark is. Of course, um, yeah. Iron Man. I guess at this point in the pop culture zeitgeist was basically unknown. Obviously, Iron Man is a pretty core character in the comic books, but no one really knew who he was. So I guess this was a good sort of. Um, snapshot intro into who tony stark is
1: yeah and and just like yeah before we get into that i also want to mention that um i i really also liked how john favreau really modernized um kind of the story and the origin of iron man um as like you mm-hmm. know the um you know the war in the middle east um which you know america you know was you know involved in um mm-hmm. but you know originally you know at least in the comics it was the vietnam war so it was it was nice to see um it was easily adopted or at least adapted well to more modern times oh for um, sure yeah but anyway i digress um so yeah we uh we see uh james roadie Rhodes um mm-hmm. of the what was the air force i would think right I think he's the Air Force. Yeah, um, he is a friend of Tony's. You know, presenting him with an award, and you know Tony does not show up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Rhodey does not seem all too surprised, um, and uh, I guess Tony's mentor, uh, Obadiah Stane, played by Jeff Bridges, yeah, um, is you know not surprised at all, um, and accepts it on his behalf, and then mm-hmm. we cut to Tony in the casino. Yep. Um, Yeah. Yep. So like you said, really starts to characterize him as like, you Mm -hmm. know, this really wealthy, you know, billionaire, um, who Mm -hmm. really could care less, you know, about these prestigious awards, um, kind of, kind of sort of that cockiness that, you know, that you'll see in Tony throughout the film. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, right. First, you know, first thing that you see him do uh, from that flashback is, yeah. Oh, there was an award ceremony. Oh, forgot about it. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think that's it's it, it, it it's part of, I guess, the part of the first act is, I think, basically setting up all of these different uh, sides to Tony, you know, so we got the beginning portion where, you get this sort of really funny, goofy character. and Now you're seeing sort of the playboy side of him where he's, you know, with pretty women and at the casino and sort of blowing off all of his responsibilities, this, in this case, being an award for him. And, and it really comes down the line where you see that later on as well, where uh, of, of, of course, after the whole casino bit, then he's about to leave and he has that interview with the reporter, Christine and You know, I think this, at this point where you see that sort of interaction is where you really get a sense of the, the dialogue. And again, we don't know whether that specific bit was improvised or not, but just the dialogue itself, at least for me, one thing that stuck out, it was, it was really quite sharp. It was, uh, you know, it felt like it was really snappy. And again, it felt like it was well-written, but it didn't, of course, we don't know what was and what wasn't written just because again, there, a lot of it was improvised, um, yeah, so it really felt uh, it, it. It just felt really like a, a conversation again with someone really smart, and you know the reporter. It, it I, I really enjoyed that scene. And then you know you have them uh, go to his place, and you have the conversation. Uh, you have her wake up and wa- have her set up basically Tony's house, the iconic that Malibu property, which yeah. we see for all three of the Iron Man movies. Um, which is, I mean, just who didn't want to live in that Malibu property. I know, I know I did. I'm sure you did as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, yeah. it was nice. Yeah. Um, just a beautiful property.
0: And then, then obviously, uh, she gets thrown, you get to meet Pepper Potts for the first time here now. Um, yes. Where she interacts ah. with Christine played by Gwyneth Paltrow. Of course, uh, she plays Pepper Potts and, um, you know, you, Pepper you get has a, a, sense- a great
1: line in that yeah. scene. <laughs> yeah
0: she does you want do to say the line
1: well you you can you can talk about um i guess the scene first but and then it'll lead up to the line but yeah um, yeah no
0: i mean the scene was basically just uh you can tell pepper's definitely been through this before gives her her dry cleaning and a car to take her anywhere and um you know it, it's you can definitely tell she's been around the block because of the do- the piece of dialogue that she says and you can if you want to say that chris
1: yeah, um yeah, she explains, you know, your your clothes have been, you know, pressed and dry cleaned, you know, you have a car out front ready for you to take you anywhere, and mm-hmm. kind of Christine kind of just, you know, takes a jab at her and basically basically is like, "Oh, so you're basically, you know, Tony's secretary or butler and you'll do anything he says." And, you know, Pepper's great one-liner is something along the lines of Yes, and that also includes taking out the trash. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah. So yeah, exactly.
1: Great, great pun, um, by yeah. Pepper. Um, and again, this 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 um, movie has very subtle, but very sharp humor. Things like that. Yeah. For um, sure, like and you were it, referring it, to. It,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. The everyone and everyone is just like really well characterized. Like it. It doesn't take a lot to you know, flesh out a character and it's really with these small little moments like this, which you get a sense that, you know, Pepper's a seasoned vet here working with Tony, that she definitely knows what's going on and how to deal with all of the various escapades he's probably having with women. And it, it's those little moments like that, which really just flesh out this world and make it feel so like it just feels lived in. Like you're just sort of dropped in and just sort of watching things play out there. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, so I mean, after that, you go down and now you see Tony working on his car engine. So that's now this different side of Tony. Like I mentioned, you you saw the jokester side, then you saw the, sort of the playboy side. Now you're seeing the sort of the mechanic side of Tony where he's like getting grimy and dirty and actually working with the stuff. So like you're seeing really different sides to Tony here. Um, and uh, of course, then Rhodey comes in as well um after the whole um award show he comes down to the Malibu house and is having a conversation with them of course Rhodey played by Terence Howard and um you know one one thing that stuck out to me was that this Rhodey at least for me feels really distinctly different from not not even just cuz it's played by Terence Howard but the way that they characterize Rhodey at least in this film and even Iron Man 2 mm-hmm. feels more sort of like an older brother to me um mm-hmm. rather than and then, of course, as we go later on with Brody played by Don Cheadle, he play he feels more like a friend to me. I agree, and it doesn't, yeah, and it doesn't really, it doesn't get like that till you know later on for sure. I think Iron Man three was really where he started to feel more like a friend, and sort of at the end of Iron Man two, but um,
1: yeah, yeah I-, and- I think
0: that's it's interesting that they characterize him like that.
1: oh uh, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, I-, I mean, yeah, the thing I noticed the most was like Terrence Howard's um portrayal is much more stern mm-hmm. towards tony um and i think characterizing as like an older brother is is a great way to put it
0: yeah yeah um yeah so then of course they uh he's you you see terrence howard there um and this is because they he, uh, Pat, uh tony was late for his flight so he meets uh rody on the steps of his, fl- of of course, Tony's private plane as they're about to fly off to Afghanistan for which this Tony's
1: like hours late for. <laughs> yeah. He's three hours
0: late for this, uh, for this flight. Um, and yeah, so then we do that. We get to Afghanistan and then of course we get to see the next side of Tony, which is the businessman and the showman of Tony Stark, which is, um, as he's showing off the Jericho missile. So, um, that's, of course, the iconic line. Is it better to be feared or um, respected? And I say, why can't you be a little bit of both? So, yeah, I mean, it, you're sort of seeing all of these sides of Tony. And I, I think, again, that's the really great way that they set him up in this first act where you get to see all the sides of him.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And, like, this is all within, what, the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Um, which is, you know, I think it's great. It's it's doesn't feel forced. Um mm-hmm. so I I think I think it's good character development very quickly.
0: Yeah, they're cuz they're um, showing it. They're not telling us all yeah. these things about him. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Um yeah. and also I have to say that that Jericho missile display where you know Tony gives a speech displays, you know, what the missile does and then does like essentially a Jesus pose and then you see everything behind him exploding, and the you know, the wind coming up from behind him. I think that was such an epic, an yeah. epic shot, an epic pose, you know, from him.
0: Of course, you know, it's again that showman side of him, right? Just iconic, um, yeah, imagery of of Tony Stark and stuff. And then, of course, you know, we have all of that stuff, and it, with with the Jericho missile, and that's when you know they get into the Humvees, the the fu- the what is it, the Fun V yeah. versus the Humdrum V that they yeah. go into. And then, of course, that's where we start back from the beginning is where, you know, they were in the Humvees and that's where the explosion happened. So we sort of take our full loop for those 36 hours and that's where we, you know, get into the cave. And that's really where I would say the fun begins, um, you know, where where we actually get start to see some more of the, the narrative thrust here. So, um, of course, we wake up and we see Tony in this cave and we get to meet Yinsen here. And, you know, that really sort of, fun jokey bit of the first bit of the movie really becomes something different for the remainder of at least for the first act for me where um it becomes kind of scary it almost becomes like sort of a war movie um Mm -hmm. and i think that really balancing of those tones where is is again part of why the movie stays interesting like it keeps mixing it up it doesn't really keep you in one tone for too long Uh, i don't know if what
1: yeah would you you agree with that yeah i agree with that Uh, i think Favreau did a great job balancing those tones like you were mentioning um mm-hmm. and you know I I personally felt that like once Tony was held captive um yeah it was definitely a bit um you, you, you felt that sense of gravity or danger mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. so yeah again great great you know balance of tones um and, you know, talking about Yinsen, yeah, you know, I, I thought their relationship, uh, Yinsen and Tony was great. Oh, yeah. Um, um, Yeah, I was doing a little, you know, research on it. And, uh, you know, apparently, you know, Yinsen, um, <clears throat> Tony admired Yinsen's work while Tony was in college. But, you know, in this movie, they kind of just throw in a little line to say like, oh, you know, we actually met previously. And Tony he says, you know, yeah, I don't remember. And. Um, you know, Yin said mentions how drunk Tony was. So, again, showing another side of Tony as well as the, yeah, the alcoholic. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I guess also just showing that Tony was, you know, drinking, you know, in the Humvee, you know, basically on the job. <laughs> so, having yeah. a drink in hand. Um, but not to, you know, digress the, the conversation. But, um, yeah, I thought their dynamic was really good. Um, you know, Yinsen mm-hmm. acting as a translator, but also as an assistant to Tony. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. Saving his life. Um, And yeah, that's that's the first time where we see, you know, Tony with the chest magnet. Um, yeah. Grafted in or implanted into him, hooked up to a car battery. So mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. really that sense of danger um, is there. And then that that little line of humor from Yinsen is, you know, Oh, like you know, here's a souvenir, I and mean, he shows Tony like little tube of shrapnel that he was able to, you know, extract out of you know Tony's uh, heart. <laughs> yeah. and he, You know, he's saying how he couldn't save everything, so that's why it's a, you know, put that little little magnet in his chest to <laughs> prevent the, you know, the rest of the shrapnel kit from killing him.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's it's um, I mean, I guess it speaks to Yinsen just being you know resourceful and. I mean, mm-hmm. Yinsen is really, I mean, I, I think he's really the emotional linchpin of of Tony's character. And it really carries through him for the rest of the movie, uh, for the rest of, I mean, I think all of Tony's arc, really. Because there's a couple of really key lines that he has through this bit of the first act. So, um, of course, they run in with the the Ten Rings, the Ten Rings, yes. um, which we'll see pop up later on in Marvel's movie collection, but basically the the terrorists working for the 10 rings um, come in and tell him that they want the Jericho missile. And of course um, they, Tony refuses initially, but then of course they agree to do, he agrees to do it. Um, Obviously he doesn't build the Jericho missiles for them, but the whole point being that um, he knows that this is sort of his only way to figure out a way to get out and um, and while everything seems sort of down there, he's, he's sort of saying that he's basically just saying that, oh yeah, we're all going to die in a week and it, nothing is going to happen. So, uh, Yinsen is the one that really picks him up and says, you, you really want your legacy to be in the hand of those murderers and whatnot. And, uh, Tony's like, yeah, I mean, I, what, what else can I do? Like, they're just going to kill me. We're all going to die in a week. And of course, Yinsen, again, uh, the sharp dialogue coming back in. He says, yeah, you know, it's going to then be a very important week to do something. So that really, I think, kicks Tony into gear here. And that's where he becomes the genius. He becomes, he the, we get to see that genius side of Tony where he's not, and, you know, he starts the whole process of, you know, building the first Mark One Iron Man suit. And mm-hmm. you can see he's not just someone that like, you know, we, you think of CEOs just sort of sitting in, a, in an office and not knowing how the the nuts and bolts of things work. He's, he's yeah, actually no, he's, like- Yeah, yeah,
1: he, yeah, no, he. You see him, you know, directing, essentially the Ten Ring terrorists. You know, I need this piece of equipment. I need this piece of equipment, and you Mm -hmm. see them going back and forth, bringing equipment exactly what Tony needs. So, like you were saying, yeah, he's he's in the weeds. um, Yeah, as you know, I guess I guess he's CEO of Stark Industries. So, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: but he he's in the weeds, and he's like taking apart the like circuit boards and the metals, like the rare metals that are on these missiles. So like, he knows exactly what's in them. I mean, considering he's pulling out like this little chunk of, was a 0.5 grams of palladium or something, a 0.05 yep. grams, something like that, where he, something I mean, like he's, that, yeah, yeah. But he's like pulling out, ra- he's finding like the specific rare earth metals that are like found in like the circuit boards on his, his giant missiles, which I, I thought that's super cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah Um, we just keep going through the we and then of course the you have this whole montage of them building stuff and you get a little bit more of that interaction between uh yinsen and tony uh particularly of course the first thing they build is that arc reactor uh where they build it with that box of scraps which of course we see that line pop up later on but um yeah yeah it's uh yeah, and, and again, it it's really goes back to that relationship with Yinsen and Tony, where he's saying, you're a man who has everything and nothing. Um, and I guess, again, I, I it's kind of speaking to the different approach here where we took in sort of looking at the movie, I think it's interesting to see how that line sort of goes from here. And again, Tony ends up being a man who is basically fulfilled by the end of his journey, not to spoil everything, but you know, um, at the end of Endgame, he really is... Uh, a fulfilled individual who really has everything and everything at the same time, you know, he, he's a billionaire and he ends up with a love of a family.
1: Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, spoiler <laughs> alert.
0: Um, but anyway, yeah, but I mean, um,
1: yeah, just to move the, the conversation along. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and at one point we do see um, the 10 rings threatened to kill Yinsen for not you're working fast enough. Um and mm-hmm. with the introduction of Raza, the leader of the ten, yeah. or at least this Ten Rings faction, um mm-hmm. and Tony essentially saves Yinsen's life by telling them that he needs Yinsen as an assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so you can see that sort of relationship, you know, that they've yeah. developed. Um, this kind of expedites their their you know plan to build this battlesuit to escape. Um, mm-hmm. and you know it. They basically have the suit already, um, until the ten rings see on the camera, right? Where oh, Stark is gone and they go to check on him and he's, you know, nowhere to be found, so they try to I guess open up and go into the workshop and yeah. uh it yeah. sets off the whole chain of events where uh, you know, they they rigged it with an explosive at the door and uh and now I get now we get the uh I guess the action. That we've been waiting for yeah
0: yeah this is the really the first bit of action here um and you know this sequence is really interesting there's a couple of things about it that i found interesting was one at least the way it starts off was like it's um probably using like almost horror like tropes where they're really keeping the mark one armor hidden so like you're really only like you see the person fly off in the first thing he's like sort of in the shadows where he's like grabbing people or throwing people away really quick cuts um Which I think sort of, I mean, I I think it's meant to sort of be a little scary until you actually get the full sort of heroic reveal of him standing in a, with this big giant sort of metal chest out there. And then you sort of uh, go along. But I also love, again, you talked about this earlier, feeling grounded. It feels, I mean, they did build this suit. Uh, Stan Winston Studios built this. You can tell it feels practical. Like it feels heavy and lumbering. Um, and part of that of course is, is the, the suit itself being big, but also I think the sound design really adds to that. And I think that's something that you and I have discussed, you know, separately where the sound design is something that I really love in the first couple of Iron Man movies and even the first Mm -hmm. Avengers movie where you hear the gears whirring and the turning and the thud of the metal and the clanking of it all, like it really feels tactile and it, it it oh it just sounds so good That's something that i really missed with iron man as we went along in the movies um, yeah me
1: too me too yeah. and even when we see the uh the mark 1 finally or when tony in the mark 1 makes mm-hmm. his way out of the cave you they have the camera shake every step the suit takes yeah um, you know i didn't notice that know, that's actually on top a of good it.
0: catch that's a good yeah. catch i actually did
1: not notice that um
0: but, but yeah, uh, yeah.
1: I, I, I agree with you. I, that is something that's been missing um, and really keeps this movie and the suit and everything really feel grounded in reality.
0: Yeah, yeah. um, Yeah, and then of course, he, he's going there. It, uh, we, we should mention, of course, like in order for the suit to actually activate, Yinsen essentially sacrifices himself to give By Tony time. enough time for the suit to, you know, initialize the software and actually let him be able to get ready. And of course the uh, outcome of that being Yinsen is basically shot and almost dead. And when Tony gets him, he's the last line he basically says is don't waste your life. And again, that's, that's really the point that sets up Tony for the rest of everything. And that, I I think I'd like to think in a way that Tony, everything Tony did afterwards was very much living up to Yinsen's words and what he said to him.
1: Yeah. And I, I love that line um yeah <clears throat> i just i just i just wish that it was a little bit more visible of yin sen's impact on tony throughout the remainder of the film throughout the remainder of the franchise and everything um mm-hmm. like you mentioned i think it's you know tony seems to then you know kind of try to live his life so that he's not wasting it you know you know withering away and whatnot but I don't know. I just feel like, you know, Yinsen's no longer referred to or anything for the remainder of the film. And yet he played such a pivotal role in the birth yeah. of Iron Man and the rebirth of Tony Stark. Uh, so that's, that's just one little critique I had. You know, I, I wish there was a little bit more, um, you felt like Yinsen's presence throughout the remainder of the film, but um, again, yeah, I still think it's a solid film. You know,
0: it's a good point actually like that. He, he comes and goes sort of. Um, and of course he's so pivotal and he doesn't really pop back up in the rest of the MCU. I think, no, I I actually think he had a cameo in Iron Man three, right?
1: That's it. Yeah. But again, it was, that's, yeah, that's it's that burn
0: thing that he's referring to yeah, where yeah. you actually see him in burn yeah. Switzerland. What for the, the millennial new year for 2000, whatever new it was. Year. Yeah. 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 But, um, it's very, I mean, it's, it, it's interesting that Yinsen basically is, as, uh, it sort of it fades into the background, but again, really, really pivotal there. Um, of, of course, the rest of this, the rest of the act is basically just uh, Tony escapes and he gets found by Rhodey. Um, so we can move on to Act Two from there. I did want to just add one last point on the uh, on the scene it was one the music. Um, I don't know if you noticed the music, but I, I think the thing for me with the music on this film is that it's so understated. And there's really only a couple of points for me where it actually becomes a lot more prominent. One is this sort of cave scene where he's actually coming out and you have this really sort of heroic music. Um, and I find it a little bit interesting how the the composer, I think it was Raman Jawadi, who did the the also the score for Game of Thrones. That's, I mean, obviously the big thing that he's known for. But he the, this scene here with the music, it sounds obviously a lot more industrial and it really matches the tone of this um mark one feeling of very nuts and bolts and heavy and stuff versus you know this the points later which we'll discuss where the music comes back in and becomes a little bit more prominent it feels a little bit more refined i don't know if um you noticed the music at all chris No, i were...
1: didn't says so yeah. it's a good pickup i didn't did not notice that
0: yeah, no, the music I, I really like. I mean, it's understated. I don't think the, the music here is particularly standout. But I I mean, that was something that I noticed in my rewatch of Iron Man, mm-hmm. at least. And something that I'm trying to pay a little bit more attention to, because I think you would probably agree with this, Chris, that I think one of the critiques, at least of most of Marvel, is that they haven't really had a, a very strong musical tapestry. Obviously, like thinking mm-hmm. to Star Wars, where the music is so prominent in Star Wars, and they very much make a point of... Having common themes throughout it and Marvel, they just sort of, okay, we have a new theme for Iron Man in every movie and oh, we have a new theme for Captain America in every movie. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I I think for me, at least I'm at least looking out for the music this time around and seeing how it varies and stuff. But um, yeah, but we can move right into act two, basically, right as Tony comes back from Afghanistan. Sorry, did you have something else to add? Yeah, I
1: was gonna say just to wrap up. You know, my thoughts on Act One. And I I've realized Act. We've talked a lot about Act One more than I expected. Um, but, yeah. um, one I you know when Tony is you know flies and crash lands essentially into the desert away from the uh the cave or the camp that he was hidden at. Um, mm-hmm. he I think in real life yeah you know, he probably would have at the minimum gotten severely injured but um
0: oh yeah oh yeah there's <laughs> well, we'll he has slide. plot armor on we he has a lot of plot armor on in this movie Yeah, um, there's multiple times in this movie where he should be severely injured and that is not the case um yeah yeah um, you know
1: yeah so there's that and then um yeah i think we didn't mention but how Oh, well, I, I think it's a bit ironic how well one the the weapon or the whatever it is the missile the bomb that explodes in Tony's face is mm-hmm. you know his own um, yeah. Stark Industries which he notices mm-hmm. and um, and then ironically also you know the Ten Rings are the, you know the ones who are using his equipment um, they supply him with their own sort of doom essentially. Um, by giving right. Tony, you know, his different, you know, weapons back for him to only break it down and you know make a suit out of it, so little, little little uh comeuppance, I would say.
0: Yeah, no, it's I mean, you know, seeing seeing that the miss his own missile was the one that caused it, I think was part of that sort of eye opener, of course, and then seeing all of the missiles that and uh, weaponry that they had stored at the the base camp there. Um, yeah, no, I think it's it's. It, this movie does a really good job of like setting up these like key little moments, uh, throwaway moments that they really um, tie the whole story together there. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we could, I guess just move right into Act 2. Like you said, I think we've spent yeah. a lot of time on Act 1 and Act 2 is even bigger and meatier. So I guess we'll try and go through it yeah. a little bit quicker. Um, of yeah, course, well. the way really Act 2 starts off is he has, um, of course, Tony gets his cheeseburger first with that. Uh, wonderful uh, burger king placement i don't know if anyone would want to go to burger (laughs) king the first thing that they come back from being held captive but you know to each his own i guess um and of course then you have the the pivotal pet press conference scene where uh tony's basically says that he's going to try and shut down the weapons part of his weapons company essentially with the the one line I saw: young Americans killed by the very weapons created to defend and protect them, which is again going back to exactly what you just said, where he saw his own weapons being used against mm-hmm. American soldiers. So, um,
1: yeah, and you can really start to see his, you know, his character arc here, um, yeah, kind of taking accountability. Um, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, this is like I guess the first real sign of okay, this this guy's changing. Um yep. And so yeah, that you know, like you said, very pivotal moment. Um you can start to see uh Jeff Bridges' character, Obadiah Stane, sort of start to freak out. And and mind you, he Bridges plays Obadiah Stane as a very calculated calm character. Um Mm -hmm. but it's it's all those subtle things where you can tell that he's like this is not good. You know, I got to figure this out. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, it's Obadiah is a, is a good foil to Tony.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you can tell, uh, you can tell that he's always sort of looking down at Tony, um, sort of watching over him and, and uh, making sure, I, I mean, he's sort of, I think the sort of got steady hand of the company. Obviously Tony's a bit more of a wild card, which, The press conference certainly proves. So he's definitely, I think, trying to remain the steady hand, which uh, he, of course, tries to do at the end of the conference where he's trying to diffuse everything and say, hey, look, the most important thing is that Tony's back and he's doing great and he's in great health and blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, I mean, I I will say about him, uh, of course, as we move along uh, after the press conference here, is he rides in on a segue. And I think this has been, this point has been made by other people is I don't think there's anyone who's looked cooler writing a Segway <laughs> than Jeff Bridges with, with a cigar, cigar too, right? Yeah. yeah. With the cigar writing his Segway. And then he gets off of it like a badass too, which I don't think, I, I think anyone else who rides a Segway, I just think of Paul Blart writing a Segway. That, that's yeah. that's what I have in my mind. So Obadiah single-handedly making the Segway look cool, um, though didn't save the company because I think it, I, I don't think it exists anymore. Yeah. But um, yeah, um, anyway, um, so
1: we get to the arc reactor at Stark Industries, I believe, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And so they have this whole conversation about how the arc reactor is basically just kind of a publicity stunt. Uh, Tony shows off his miniaturized arc reactor in his chest that is preventing the shrapnel from getting to his heart, and Obadiah sees this as an opportunity um, to kind of pivot there. Um, yeah, here's the next best thing that Stark Industries can provide. You know, at least to deflect some of the attention away from Tony announcing the shutdown of For the sure. manufacturing of um, yeah weapons.
0: Yeah, I mean, even Tony mentions it. You know, he's he's saying that I I think we should take another look into arc reactor technology. Yeah. Um, which is why Obadiah is initially at least dismissive of it, where he's saying, "Oh yeah, no, it's a publicity stunt. We just used it to shut up the hippies." And then you. Uh, then he shows him and obviously he he knows that tony built that the, the art sees the mini arc reactor and stuff so um that's that's i think interesting and of course in this scene you get the the little line from obadiah that they're iron mongers which of course is a, yes it references later on that he becomes the iron monger of course but yes. um yeah um yeah and then of course we after that scene you get to the scene where Tony is replacing the Mark one arc reactor with the Mark two arc reactor. Um, I mean, it's just a funny scene. It's just, again, a cute scene between him and him and pepper. And of course pepper. shows their relationship with one another. What, but I, I'll, I will note one thing that I found funny in the scene was the whole thing was that he, he tells pepper to fix the wire that's inside him. And it's wrapped around this magnet, which is of course the electromagnet that's that is yeah. trying to, prevent him from dying and he says not to pull out the magnet which she does and, and doesn't then doesn't rep- put it back in right doesn't put it back in yeah that's <laughs> that's what i was thinking i i mean obviously I, I i think the scene was longer if i remember there was actually it the deleted scene actually is a bit longer so i don't remember if they okay they have a bit where they put the magnet back in but i just found it funny that she plugs in the arc reactor uh with no you know yeah, there's there's no um magnet in there, so what is how how is he living? But I, I I just found that funny.
1: No, I agree, I agree. Yeah.
0: Um yeah, I think the whole thing was so I I, I mean obviously they have that conversation and then uh Rhodey comes down and he is talking about he he's talking with Tony and uh tony is is trying to convince him that like this this new direction is like really the right way and i I think it's interesting here that like no one's really buying into the new tony right now like everyone just thinks he's sort of gone crazy or he has ptsd and obviously they they say that in the news that they think he has ptsd and whatnot but um Mm -hmm. it's interesting what like roadie says what you need is time to get your mind right of course roadie has his own priorities he works for the government and he wants tony to keep making weapons for him because he's like their weapons uh, expert I guess for the Air Force but um it, it is interesting that he says that and then of course we move into the whole thing where he starts building the next iteration of the Iron Man suit and I, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this so he says that uh I don't know who to trust right now I want to keep this on my private server I mean what what yes. prompted him to say that he doesn't trust anyone do you, do you know why
1: Uh that's no, a good question um
0: like I don't think anyone really I, did anything to betray no, his trust.
1: No, I agree. Um I mean, I, I guess maybe if anything, he, he might be super paranoid at you know, after what happened of him being captured and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um Oh I oh, you know what it is? It's probably because he saw his weapons being used by terrorists and he's like, Okay, how you know, how could they have gotten them? Um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I don't know, it might be something along those lines of, okay, maybe, maybe yeah. there's something going on in the background that I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, he, he also refused, you know, Obadiah's request to get engineers to analyze his miniature arc reactor. So, right. Um, yeah.
0: Which I, that's a point I want to get to later, but I guess we can, since you're bringing it up, we can get it to it now. So he mentions that he wants to look into arc reactor technology and, and then later on, when Obadiah comes and asks him for the arc reactor, he's like very much like, no, no, this one's for me. I'm not letting you have this. So that, that point was also, I think, interesting where initially he's saying he wants to look into it, but then he's not giving him like probably the best way to actually reverse engineer mm-hmm. it with his actual sample. Um, I don't know that, that, that part didn't track for me logically, but you know, I, it's no, a I minor point, I think in the overall. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's actually funny because that's, I think, the the part right after this whole whole thing where he's starting to build the Mark II. And again, you get more of that sort of thing with Tony where he's actually, again, a genius in building this stuff in his workshop. And I think you really miss those sort of like personal moments where you're just with Tony. Um, and this scene where he's just building, he's, I think, building the, the boot of the Mark II. And you see all of like the little pistons and he's working with all of his little... Um, the robots, robots. Yeah. yeah but it, it feels an intense it feels very personal that scene like you, it feels like you're sort of in tony's workshop with him and yeah helping him build it even though he's just sort of talking to the robots or essentially himself it really feels personal and it adds a lot to that characterization which i think again to the point it this movie is focused on the characters it's not really about all of the action and stuff that the action of course supports it all but it's it's all it's all focused on tony and these characters which is why um, of course the movie works at the end of the day
1: yeah and you know like you mentioned him having a conversation essentially with the robots who don't respond and his you know his ai jarvis um you know outside of that he really you don't really see him have any deep connections with anybody else besides obadiah pepper and roadie um Mm -hmm. so you really get the sense of like going back to Yintin said he's a man who has everything in terms of, you know, money yeah. um, and whatnot, but he also has nothing. He has, you know, his parents died in a car crash. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So he has no family and it doesn't seem like he has really any real deep friendships outside of, you know, those mentioned. So he really just talks to his, um his AI <laughs> and yeah. his robots. Wow. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, yeah, no, I mean of course Jarvis um yeah, it's it's interesting that in, and of course we learn Jarvis later on is his is uh dad's butler, which is why he he has an attachment to that the name of Jarvis. But um you know, I, I, I think one thing also again which we see in this scene is that the CGI in this movie is like just so so solid. So good. It's so good. Like you're seeing, uh, obviously the boot is CG and then he's building like the sort of that hologram repulsor where he puts his, he puts his arm into it and it looks real. It it really feels so well done. Um, just, yeah, just really, really all well done. The CG in this movie. Um, yeah. And then of course, after that scene is when we get to the whole thing with, uh, obadiah playing on the piano and they had that conversation which we just talked about with the arc reactor and tony not wanting to give it uh, but what i i mean we'll just talk i guess briefly about what i found funny in the scene was that tony seems to have cut a hole out in his shirt to highlight the arc reactor and yeah. uh and i noticed later on when he is with uh of course later on in the movie when his arc reactor gets stolen by obadiah his shirt didn't have a Doesn't, hole in it yeah. I'm, one, yeah I'm wondering how many shirts he's actually put a hole into yeah. just to show off his arc reactor i just thought that was really funny
1: yeah no i, I agree i did I actually didn't realize that until you just said that but yeah that's true
0: <laughs> yeah he just it i mean i don't know what, what he's just like sort of showboating in his own house that he he has the arc reactor on yeah um, yeah and then of course after that uh, then of course we he is looking at a slice of pizza i don't know if you noticed this but the pizza looks so dry of course you and i are very it has familiar has no with flop it has york no flop pizza. to it yeah no flop no flop at all but it looked dry it didn't look like it had any sauce on it um yeah, I, mean, I mean of course granted i'm sure obadiah like to i mean um, what uh, how long is the flight from new yeah, york to he, california why the is 7 hours
1: Why why is he bringing Pete's all the way from New York? Like, that's, yeah, it's like hours and hours. Like, I don't understand, but, um, but yeah, anyway, um, so I think, yeah, after that scene, um, this, we, 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 you kind of alluded to Tony kind of having that montage of building the suit. Yeah. Um, you know, he's also kind of, you know, testing or essentially like a training montage as well of getting used to the different components of the suit. Um, so yeah, after that whole conversation, um, I guess he's what back in his workshop watching the news. Um, well, and kind of... you,
0: we have the whole test flight sequence. That's that's what comes right after. After okay, all of like yep, the development yep. of it is when we get the iconic test flight, and when we actually see the first iteration of like the more modern Iron Man suit which is i mean the mark ii armor and again again such good cgi here like it really feels real like you see all of like the metal pieces moving around and all of that stuff of course they built a real one again stan winston studios built a real like metal version which i'm sure helped a lot with the cgi of it but it just looks so good and it it so feels good. so good. Again, really grounded. And this is, again, the second part where you hear that music where he's flying around, and that's really where it feels more polished. Instead of it like sort of being thumping music, it's it's more sort of melodic and going on. But it has a little bit of that undertone in it. Um, yeah, and then, of course, here, after a part of that is you have very wide shots of him flying, and then you see him fly up, and that's where you hear about the... Or see rather the icing problem that he has, which is of course referenced later on in the movie, um, and again yeah. really shows how Tony is like very iterative in the his whole process and learning from his mistakes, where um, pulling things from his past suits and his past uh, experiences.
1: Yeah, for sure, and like yeah, kind of that that uh, I guess that Mark II suit, you know, being all silver um you know pulled from the comics as well, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. Um and anyway, I guess the next scene is about the, the Stark Gala or whatever it is. Yes, um,
0: yeah, the Stark Gala.
1: That Tony doesn't get invited to even though his name is, you know, on the, the Gala.
0: Mm-hmm, um so mm-hmm. he
1: kind of he shows up unannounced um and um, you know, actually, I, so I do want to get
0: to something right before the gala. So they show a little oh, bit. Sure. Uh, yeah, one thing they do show is one, he gets the gift from Pepper, which again,
1: showing oh, a little yes. bit of
0: that person to person interaction proof that Tony Stark still has a heart. Which um, has the again,
1: original arc reactor.
0: Yes, the there. Mark One arc reactor. Um, one thing I did find interesting also is they also cut to the Ten Rings actually finding the suit.
1: Oh, and, yes, Like trying to
0: like actually PC, reassemble yeah. it. And yeah, one yeah. thing I thought that was interesting and strange was that they have the papers. They have the blueprints for the original Mark I. And
1: I was, I'm surprised that thinking,
0: Tony didn't burn it.
1: I had the same exact thought. I was like, why did Tony not destroy this evidence? Like, if you were going to yeah. leave the cave, like, I, I thought the same exact thing.
0: I mean, maybe they didn't have time. Of course, they were kind of rushed at the end there. But, yeah. like, the suit was all built. Like, I mean, I, I can't yeah. imagine why they kept the blueprints around after the suit was built but you know um you know minor minor points minor yep. yeah, minor points yep. here but um yeah we'll get we'll get back to the the gala here so of course he's in the gala yep. and um uh, yeah
1: well, and this so, is yeah, where right we get
0: before, our first stan lee cameo
1: yeah well actually right before they leave for the gala um mm-hmm. you know he, he tells jarvis to you know build this or assemble the next suit which would be the mark three yes um the the first mock-up is all gold.
0: Which is reference again, to the another, comics again.
1: Yep, exactly. Another suit in the comics um early on for for Iron Man. Um and then it kinda throws a little hot rod red in there from you know Tony's car that he's been working on earlier in the film to give you that mm-hmm. classic red and yellow or red and gold um yeah. suit that we, you know, comic fans and now everybody in the mainstream is used to. But um mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. yeah. We're at the gala. Um, Like you mentioned, the first Stanley cameo. Yeah, um, Tony mistakes him for Mister Hugh Hefner.
0: And, well, I think um, he is playing Hugh Hefner in this one, right?
1: Is he? I thought he was just.
0: Yeah, he. I mean, he's surrounded by a bunch of women. He's wearing the Hugh Hefner sort of like bathrobe-looking like, thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I, think I he
1: is. I took it as he was just playing a random guy who just happened to be in a very similar outfit and uh, group as you know you would. Find yeah, Hugh Hefner, I'm, but I'm
0: gonna look this up on IMDb right now, actually, whether um he's credited as Hugh Hefner, because that would be very funny to me. Um I'm gonna see. Let's see, let's see.
1: Um
0: <laughs> Stanley, yeah, he's credited as Hugh Hefner on IMDb. Oh. Yep. So he was playing Hugh Hefner. Okay. Yeah so yeah yeah well there you go so he he was playing hugh hefner um one thing i do want to do though at least as we're going through these movies i do want to rank stanley's appearances obviously right now is we just have this one so first place hugh hefner of course this will change as we move to the next movie incredible hulk but uh um (laughs) yeah but anyway yeah so you you are at the gala here and then I think the big, big really portion of this gala is you really start seeing a little bit of that budding romance between Tony and Pepper, and you really get a sense of that uh, tension between them.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, it comes to the point where they almost kiss, um, Mm -hmm. but they don't. And you can tell both of them are a bit embarrassed and kind of flustered about it, but they both kind of share those romantic feelings for each other. For sure. Um, Yeah. And so, yeah, it's good, you know, kind of planting the seeds um, and I would say the, the next biggest thing to come out of this is at the very end of the gala, mm-hmm. um, Christine Everhart shows up again, the reporter yes. from variety, um, vanity fair. And, oh, sorry. Vanity fair. I knew it started with the V. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Tony's line. Uh, oh, why were you late? Oh, I was, uh, doing a piece for vanity fair. Um, good pun, Tony. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah, you know, I didn't catch that, obviously, the multiple times I've seen it before, but this time I picked it up. I was doing a piece yeah. from Vanity Fair. Yeah, that was pretty yeah. funny.
1: Um, but anyway, Christine, um, you know, comes up to Tony, shows him the uh, the pictures of the Ten Rings, you know, using his weapons in um, mm-hmm. a, a different place. And uh, yeah, Tony's not aware, so he goes up to Obadiah and kind of confronts him about it.
0: Yeah, and this is really where you see that shift in Obadiah. Well, I mean, of course, it makes sense. You gotta, you realize, of course, at this point that he's sort of the villain here. Um, he's the one that locked Tony out of the board, and he's the one that uh, it seems like he's he's spearheading the sort of double dealing uh, that Stark Industries is doing here. So um, after all of that, of of course, he he sort of shocks Tony with that, and Tony's obviously very upset. And he goes back to his workshop, and you you see him watching a video about this. And it's act, and I think one nice touch there was that the weapons that Christine showed him was based were based out of Gulmira, which was where Yinsen was Yinsen, from, which yeah. he mentioned in yeah. the beginning. So again, that I think that really hit home to him that that was something that like yeah. struck a nerve. And you see him watching that documentary on Gulmira, which. Makes him, and of course, they throw in that line: "Is there's really no one out here to save him?" And that makes him, um, his call to action, essentially.
1: Yeah, and I think what's also really intimidating about that, you know, that scene where Obadiah essentially tells Tony that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that you know he's responsible for th- you know throwing Tony out of the, the company or filing the injunction. Mm-hmm. Um, that Obadiah is is you know, very relaxed, but yet very threatening at the same time, and kind of oh, talking yeah. to Tony just in a normal voice. But um, again, kudos to Jeff Bridges um, on his performance.
0: Oh yeah, no, um, Jeff Bridges was so good. It's such a shame that he's not come back in any sort of flashback or cameo or anything. Oh, I mean,
1: he he has he has come back in a archival footage. Um, which where did he come back again? Far from home. Did he? Yeah. When, uh, talking to the, the box of scraps.
0: Oh yes, yes, yes. He did come back. Yeah. That was our, okay. It was the same piece of footage from, yeah. From Iron man. Footage, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Archival footage. But, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I wish we got like a new scene
1: new, yeah, 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 with yeah.
0: Jeff Bridges, like as Obadiah, like the, oh yeah, yeah. man, I, I mean, yep. Jeff Bridges is such a good actor. So it's really just such a shame that we don't get to see more of him. Um, yeah. And you know part of that is you know the Marvel the Marvel thing where they kill off all their really good actors in the first movie that they're in who played the villains um which we'll see that with all of with a lot of the villains in the the first yeah. set of movies this one and um actually it's only this one Captain America where they kill him off the kill off the main villains oh and Iron Man too but anyway we'll we'll get to those but um yeah and then of course after this is where we get the real suit up of Tony and we get the full reveal of him in the red and gold and uh, uh, yeah. again the suit just looks so good here it really yeah. i mean this whole scene is just so i think badass that's i think the yeah the takeaway he, from this scene
1: yeah he flies to uh back to the middle east um mm-hmm. essentially wipes out all the terrorists in the area yeah um gets shot down by a tank and kind of just gets up off you know out of the little hole that he kind of plummets or creates by plummeting to the earth and uh you know what dodges another shot and then kind of just shoots a wrist rocket turns Mm -hmm. around walks away and you get that epic shot of the tank exploding behind him as he's walking away and Oh I, yeah, I, thought that, that was I mean, just one of the greatest iconic. pieces. Of, yeah, it's it's a great piece of cinematography, probably the, the best one in the the movie, in my opinion.
0: Oh yeah, no, no, for sure. I mean it, that that scene is just iconic. The him walking away from the explosion there, and you know, I think part of what makes Iron Man so cool here is he's so di- at least the way he plays it is so different than. You know Tony Stark, where Tony Stark is very chatty and very talkative, and Iron when he, at least in the initial phase where no one knows he's Iron Man, he's really so quiet. And especially mm-hmm. with that sort of the grimace that the mask has, sort of yeah. uh, the yeah. way that the sort of lines are on it where they yeah. all meet up, the plates it's like a frown. It, it almost, really, lo- yeah, yeah it, it's almost angry. I mean, the eyes look kind of angry, angry yeah. with the frown. Yeah. So it looks. I mean, it's way more imposing where he's not talking and he's doing all these sort of badass things. And I kind of missed that, actually. I mean, obviously, this is really the only movie where he had it because the remaining movies where everyone knows he's Iron Man is he's much more talkative. And um, yeah, yeah, but then, of course, the end of Act Two is really the whole uh, plane scene. Of course, the plane scene is also super well done here.
1: With the Um, F-22s?
0: Yeah, with the F-22s. Okay, yeah yeah rev- um, uh, with him revealing that uh, revealing to rody that he is in fact
1: iron man um, yeah and that yeah that that whole sequence is really cool like you get to see okay he's built a suit that can go supersonic can yeah. avoid you know heat seeking missiles from f22 raptors mm-hmm. um uh i'm pretty sure rody's ringtone for iron man is like the um you know the iron man theme song from one of the 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 tv shows the like anime animated tv shows a while back
0: is it actually um, i i that wouldn't surprise me but that's I I, so. that, that would that's pretty awesome
1: yeah um but yeah, you, yeah. You, you get to see yeah like how this this trust between tony and Rhodey is where once tony reveals that he's iron man to uh roadie you know there's the whole joke of like, well, what do you, what do you want me to tell you know, the rest of the, the military? And Tony's like, mm-hmm. oh, call a training exercise. And then Rody's like, that's not how this works. And then the very next scene they cut to, you know, Brody at a press conference saying it was, you know, an unfortunate accident accident in a, in a training exercise.
0: Yeah, um, exactly. Exactly. Um, um,
1: yeah. You, yeah. You, you see that sort of, yeah, that, that trust and that, that friendship there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure it, fr- i mean it's again sort of friendship and it's also sort of the whole i mean th- this this scene was um yeah it's it's uh you don't really get as much of that sort of brotherly interaction there um mm-hmm. but it's you sort you kind of do where he's like you don't do that you can't do that to me um you mm-hmm. can't fly your sort of civilian uh weapon or you can't fly civilian stuff in like my combat zone or whatever so i mean he still sort of has like that brotherly aspect to it um you know i i mean as we get into act three act three is i think really where you see a little bit of the more of the friend of tony uh the like that road is a friend of tony and we can get to that i mean we can i guess go through the events that lead up to it but basically um you learn uh, we we get to the scene with obadiah in Afghanistan with uh, Raza um, getting the suit from actually seeing the design of the suit and everything and getting the the blueprints and whatnot. And you learned that Obadiah wanted to kill Tony. Um, And this was something that came up for me. Did you get a sense as to why he wanted to? Because it never was really clear to me.
1: Uh, That why Obadiah wanted Tony dead? Yes. Um, I mean, I, I... I, I thought it was because he wants to take control of the company, like Obadiah was in charge of Stark Industries when Howard Stark died, and then um right. basically had to give it back once Tony became of age. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I felt like there was that some sort of jealousy, especially you know we'll see later on. I guess we could just talk about Act Three now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean we're yeah, basically there, in Act
0: Three now, yeah. So
1: yeah, there there's a a, a line of you know. Dialogue during their final fight, where Obadiah is like, "I built this company," essentially mm-hmm. is what he said. Um, so I do feel like Obadiah feels like he he's not being given credit for his work, and he's the one who should be running the company. Um, he's been yeah. putting in the hard work, and you know he just has to hand it back because this kid's name is you know on the company.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's. I guess you know can't rationalize too much why a villain is doing what he's doing but it, it 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 didn't strike me as like a particularly clear reason as to why he ordered the hit on tony um yeah but it, it's it's a good point i mean i, I appreciate the insight there because i i didn't really put those dots together that he wanted to just take over the company but that makes total sense
1: yeah um, i mean and throughout the film he he calls tony a child so i think he still see, he still sees like Um, you know, why does this? It's a child. Like,
0: Mm -hmm. why Mm -hmm.
1: does why does he get to reap the benefits of like what I've done for this company and stuff? Why does he get to run it?
0: Yeah, Um, yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, he he was twenty one when he took over the company, so mm -hmm. um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, Um, yeah, and then of course you have they have the whole um, that's the the whole scene where Tony and Pepper are talking, and he's fixing the 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 hand in his, uh, the the gauntlet basically. And he's asking Pepper to help him steal files from, uh, basically Stark Industries and try and figure out what Obadiah is doing. And he has this, he has the line there. I finally know what I have to do, which I think is sort of the culmination of everything that happened in this movie, where he very much knows that he, he has to do the right thing here and, um, stop Obadiah stop, you know, this whole sort of campaign of weapons sneaking out from, Backdoor of Stark Industries to all of the, um, all of these, uh, all of the the terrorists and the Ten Rings, for example, in Afghanistan. So, um, what I thought was interesting was that Pepper was essentially breaking into Tony's own office, quote unquote, breaking into because it, it I mean, he is technically still part of the company. So, I, it, it's interesting yeah. that they try and play it as if like she's doing something sneaky, but it is her boss's computer. It's not like he's, she's really doing something illegal
1: there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah, which um, I guess is why Obadiah can't really do anything against her because he—I mean, he da- she downloaded the files, but it's it, it is obviously like he has a right to access them.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, what I, thought, what I thought was kind of weird was so yeah, when when Pepper's now in Tony's office and downloading the files, um, mm-hmm. or Obadiah's secret you know files, um, she watches the hostage video, um. And, you know, she she translates it. But, you know, the Ten Rings clearly say Obadiah's name. Like they said, Obadiah Stane, you've like deceived us. Like yeah. by not telling us the target was Tony Stark. Um, And, you know, obviously they, they speak whatever language, but their names won't change on, depending on the language. So I'm kind of... I was kind of like confused. it's like, well, his, was Tony paying attention at that time? Like, wouldn't he have heard Obadiah's name and not think, huh? Why do these terrorists know Obadiah's name? Yeah, so.
0: I mean, I, I mean, they do also say Obadiah's name with sort of an accent too. Um, I mean, there's, they're, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're speaking Urdu because I could understand it. You know, Urdu and Hindi are pretty similar there, but um, it's. Uh, it is interesting. I mean, you know, I, I would also chalk it up to the fact that Tony is just sort of pretty disoriented and doesn't know what's going on. Like he is like basically getting a bag taken off his head and is just sort of taking it all in. So I don't necessarily blame him for not realizing that they've mentioned Obadiah. He's probably just sort of overwhelmed at that moment. Um, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That That's sort of my rationalization for it. But um, yeah, I mean, they, they even mentioned his name. They mentioned
1: Tony Stark yeah. too, but um, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. he, he is there, so... Right, right, but, they... but you know, <laughs>
0: to that point, though, where, you know, they're mentioning, um, you deceived us by saying Tony Stark, like, I, I, again, it sort of question, it brings into question what Obadiah's plan was. Like, didn't Obadiah tell them that he they were going to kidnap Tony Stark, or did they just tell them that they needed to kidnap whoever was in that Humvee?
1: Yeah, probably, probably that.
0: Yeah, I mean, but, like, why does that... I, I guess because... It's interesting that they knew Tony Stark's face, and then you know, they yeah. they raised the price for him specifically yeah. to be killed just because they he is Tony Stark. But yeah, yeah I mean, anyway, it, th- that whole thing was interesting. So of course, at, at the end of that, they kill well, that, that
1: scene. That scene also was like very yeah, um, yeah, yeah. between Obadiah and, and Pepper was again another another display of really calm threats, but very dangerous. Yeah time yeah,
0: yeah yeah no I mean again he just has that menace about him and again yeah credit to Jeff Bridges just being such a great actor yeah that you feel
1: sorry. the tension there uh, sorry I cut you off though before that what were you saying
0: no 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 I you you sort of you led into my point exactly so I didn't really have a okay, additional cool. thing there yeah
1: Um. so yeah and then we kind of see Pepper knows that um Obadiah is onto her and knows exactly what she had done so she kind of speed walks out of there um, yeah. And, you know, we see Agent Colson who, you know, we got briefly introduced to during Act 2, and, um, you know, Agent Colson kind of first introduced himself as, like, this agent from this intelligence agency
0: um, mm-hmm, that has mm-hmm. a really
1: long name, um, which I also kind of found a bit weird, that they kind of presented S.H.I.E.L.D. as, like, this, you know, up-and-coming sort of intelligence agency that really right. didn't even have their their acronym straightened out, yet, you know, we'll we'll see... Pretty soon, that Shield has been around for a while, so I'm not sure why he really, you know, you know. Maybe I guess he wanted to like disguise Shield as you know, since they're not as well known and they're more, you know, espionage related. But um, yeah, it's just really weird how they kind of presented as like you know, hey, we're kind of this new sort of agency.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, one thing. One thing I will mention. Um, I mean, of, of of course, we see Agent Coulson, um earlier on in his career. In Captain Marvel, as a mem- as an agent of Shield, and I I mean we can I guess we'll get to this point when we get to Captain Marvel, but do you remember if they had the acronym of Shield at the time, or did they just call it the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement? No, they, they definitely
1: had they definitely had the acronym.
0: Okay, so I mean I I won't fault I won't fault this movie for not knowing that. Like I mean they um, you know that this movie was sort of made standalone but um it is interesting that you know they that they act as if the name isn't set in stone at this point but yeah you're right this is an old organization they've been around obviously the ssr and then that became shield so yeah um yeah So. so of course after this whole thing was uh the iconic scene which you referenced in the archival footage with uh obadiah going to his scientists and asking about you know huh? what's the what's the progress of this arc reactor thing and he talks to the scientists there saying like you know it's it's impossible we can't really do this and of course obadiah the iconic line tony stark was able to build this in a cave with a box of scraps
1: and the well, i'm sorry the, sir i'm yeah. not tony stark
0: yeah exactly <laughs> such a great again such a great yeah. line there you know that um just just really shows the genius of tony um, and at the same time showing how, uh, you know, I, I think part of that is also, you know, Obadiah kind of does feel inferior, like part of it being, you know, how you pointed out earlier that it's his namesake company, Tony's. And on top of that, like, even though he found fa- helped found the company with his dad, he's sort of playing second fiddle to Tony, where Tony really is sort of the brains behind the company. Um, even yeah. though probably Obadiah is sort of like the business hand of it, but Tony really is the the brains of the operation, which is, I think, kind of cool to see. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's again a small moment, but
1: yeah, there, there's definitely this sort of jealousy too of like Obadiah mm-hmm. having to put in all this work, having to put up with the board, you know, make all these different deals for the company. And Tony yeah. kind of just effortlessly like comes up with these ideas and, you know, makes things. And it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know, Obadiah probably is like, you don't, it doesn't look like you put in any effort and yet, you're just naturally gifted, and I have to put in all this work just to get my due. So
0: yeah, 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 yeah. And you know that that leads right into the scene where you know basically Obadiah is so frustrated that he goes to Tony and basically steals the arc reactor from him. No, but um, basically you
1: know, he straight up, straight up just steals it off, literally off his yeah, chest. Yeah, he
0: steals it off of his <laughs> chest. You know what I found interesting though was that he tells Tony that he put the hit on him hit on him i don't know what yeah. he was thinking there cuz like i mean hubris, assuming tony hubris. didn't go i mean of course hubris but like what what did he think tony was go, like did he just think tony was going to like he was going to kill tony like i don't know what he was yes. uh yeah he was 100% kill tony.
1: yeah because he knows the arc, arc reactor is the only thing keeping him alive i'm sure Got obadiah it. is not aware that tony still has the uh, the mark 1 arc reactor so
0: yeah, of course. Yeah, Otherwise, you would have just gone downstairs and taken that.
1: Yeah. So um, I'm sure Obadiah, it's one of those things like, I want you to know that I'm the one responsible for all, I'm the one who killed you. Yeah. Um, sort of thing. Yeah, um, you know, the that hubris and yeah. also that paralysis technology that they use that one Obadiah uses to paralyze Raza, steal, or basically just mm-hmm. take the the plans for the mark one iron man and the armor and everything. And then now he uses it on Tony to paralyze Tony in order to then steal his arc reactor out of his chest. I don't know why they don't use that paralysis tech. And you know, that is funny. so useful.
0: It's funny. You mentioned that. Cause I was thinking the exact same thing. Like I'm surprised that Tony didn't like integrate that into his, his suits in some capacity. Um, yeah. Yeah, because it seems so. U- I mean, it seems uh, uh, obviously there's a bit of a dystopian element to it, and it's used in a pretty nefarious way here. But um, yeah, I mean, it seems useful. I, I, I'm in some capacity. I'm sure there's a way that it could be used in some useful fashion. I don't know, maybe against like the outriders later on, or um, in, in or just in, any villain any he encounters. Any, <laughs> any villain he encounters. Yeah, no, yeah, that's that's fair. Exactly. So you know, yeah. But- it's it's one of those one of those little pieces of of Marvel tech that is has gone away, but um, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I also had that in my notes. And then of course uh, after all of that, we get to the whole bit where Tony is is trying to get the arc reactor and save himself. And you know this is the point where I mentioned where um, Terrence Howard comes back in, and this is I think the point where you really see the friend side of Terrence Howard more than him being like a brother where he's like actually trying to help out Tony and um, yeah. Yeah. Where he like helps, helps get him back up. And um, you know, there he's like just sort of hanging out with a friend in his workshop. And uh, as of course, Tony's preparing for the final
1: fight and suiting up.
0: And yeah, he's like, yeah, that's the coolest up. thing I've ever seen.
1: And then, yeah, he asked Tony, you know, if he could, how he can help. And Tony tells him to keep the skies clear. And then, um, mm-hmm. you know, we have the funny um, sort of interaction. Um, kind of foreshadowing, and you know, Rhodey turns to the Mark II armor, the silver armor. Um, yeah, next time, the, baby. Next time, baby. Yeah, kind of referencing of course, or no. foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah, um, but of
0: course, there won't be no next time for, for Terrence Tower.
1: But yeah, but it is yeah, still pretty.
0: It, it's still a nice little nod to him to becoming a War, War Machine later on. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that. So of course they go into the fight there, and. Um, I mean, we don't have to, I guess, talk about the fight too much. It's just like a fight between, uh, Tony and Obadiah. But I think the one thing that's interesting, like a nice little detail that they brought back was how the Mark one arc reactor is enabled to sustain flight. And Jarvis says that, which is why,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um, him flying around makes him lose power so much. Mm -hmm. Um, so that I thought was cool. Of course, the icing problem comes back again. That's that little callback from earlier on when he was working on the Mark two,
1: yeah, it seemed like Obadiah didn't make that upgrade.
0: Yeah, of course, he had many impressive <laughs> upgrades of his own, but he didn't yeah. make the icing armor upgrade. And yeah. then, um, you know, part of that whole thing with the the arc reactor not being able to sustain flight it and that sort of failing in this point, it's, it's interesting because it made me think a little bit about Iron Man 3 later on. Of course, we'll discuss Iron Man 3 in a future um, episode, but... The fact that you know in Iron Man three that whole the whole point of that that movie it kind of felt like that what had that Mark fifty two I think it was that kept failing, versus this yeah. one was also I think failing.
1: Was it a forty
0: five?
1: I don't know. Was it Mark we'll
0: forty five? Yeah, we'll look that up. But ba- basically that almost gold suit that like was yeah. kind of the would like break into individual pieces and yeah, yeah. was. Like it, I mean, it, it very much a contrast from the suit in this one, which is literally built like a tank and can take tank rounds. Um, yeah. Versus that one gets hit by a truck and falls apart. And I yeah. think that sort of that suit failing so often, it felt far less believable than this one, where mm-hmm. the arc reactor is the reason that his suit is like you know sort of failing and he's
1: yeah. like not being able to
0: sustain flight and stuff.
1: Yeah, um, and yeah. I wonder if that's also just a call back to. The Mark One, yeah, and it, during his escape from the cave, where yeah, um, his, his suit, yeah, basically stops functioning mid-flight, um, which mm-hmm. causes him to crash land in the desert. Um
0: Right, exactly, and, and I mean that, that was obviously, yeah, that, that's exactly why I was saying I like that small detail yeah. where it mentions that it's not able; it wasn't built to sustain flight. It was basically yeah. just built to power all of those other, yeah, functions of his, like the missiles and the the flamethrower and whatnot.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, and. Uh, I was going to say another callback to that cave scene um, mm-hmm. happens here where um, Pepper and, and Colson on and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of infiltrate uh, sector 16, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, of the building of Stark Industries.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: when Pepper's kind of like looking, you know, where the, the, the suit was hanging, the Iron Monger suit was hanging, it was no longer there. Pepper is kind of like curiously looking as if something's in, in the shadows. And then all of a sudden you see the mask um, of the iron monger suit turn on kind of like a reference to like earlier in the cave scene when Tony does that to the 10 rings. Um, right oh cave. yeah.
0: Yeah, no, it, it's funny you mentioned that. Cause that was, I was thinking the same thing that it was like a, a small reference to kind of like, again, that sort of horror like reference where he comes out of the darkness with, and the mask turns on and, um, of course, mm-hmm. it's like almost the same mask that the Mark One suit had. So it was uh, obviously that was that was a great visual. And then, of course, they have the fight at the end and, um, you know, Obadiah dies at the end. Um, I, I thought it was interesting, though, that Obadiah is the one that actually dies. Um, well, of course, he falls into the arc reactor, but that Tony, I think, takes the blast full on. He obviously flies off, but like, yeah, you know, it's an, again, I guess he's just too light. Plot... And
1: yeah.
0: Plot yeah. Armor. <laughs> plot armor same same thing as as earlier you know even even in the training sequence where he's you know he has the thrust at 10% capacity and then he basically flies into the wall. the wall
1: yeah oh
0: god that w- it, like a cement wall that would have been um that would have been pretty painful but uh, yeah. yeah i mean and then of course at the end there after the whole fight is done i that i'm sure that that very iconic uh, shot of the arc reactor sparking back on showing how he's like still alive i thought that's just a really great visual way to show that he's alive as opposed to him like slowly breathing or something like that yeah
1: and and also like my question is um well the arc reactor is supposed to be sustainable energy right so so like does that thing just auto recharge on its own
0: you know it's 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 a question that i also had at the end because how how the how Jarvis was saying that it had like an energy capacity. Um, I wasn't sure how, how that worked. I mean, I, I think it, they were talking about it earlier that it, it's, I think powered by palladium, right? Like, which they show in Iron yeah. Man too. So they, but, I, I think that's probably what, what like, it's probably just the fuel of the palladium runs out. But then if he
1: was at, if he ran, he, cause he ran, basically ran out of power at that point point in his arc yeah. reactor. Yeah. He doesn't have a backup, so like he would have to create a new arc reactor before the power like his power ran out. So I'm like, wouldn't he have kind of gone back into that cardiac arrest and almost died?
0: Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um probably <laughs> we'll, plot armor there. Plot armor.
1: Yeah. Plot armor again.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, there it, it comes up a couple of times, but you know, it doesn't pull you out of the movie, you know? It it's it's no, still no it does. doesn't, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, um, that's, that's basically the end of the movie, right? Where after after the fight, yeah, they have then, the whole press conference, the iconic which, press conference at the end, which he reveals to the world he is, that he is, of
1: course, Iron Man. And then, yeah, yeah. we see, like, kind of the, the news clipping of you know them referring to him as Iron Man, kind of how a lot of these superheroes in this universe at least get their superhero name. Yeah, um, exactly. Them, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D., now Coulson saying, you know, the agency is called S.H.I.E.L.D. for short, which, again, I have no idea why he tried to introduce them as, like, the strategic homeland intervention, yada, 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 instead yeah. of just saying, like, we're called S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, you know, they give Tony an alibi and saying, like, oh, Iron Man was, you know, my bodyguard. Again, a reference to the comics of, um, you know, Iron Man's sort of identity within, you know, his relation to Tony's. He's supposed to be his bodyguard. Right. Um, And then, yeah, we get to the whole iconic Tony just kind of throws out the uh, the notes that Colson gives him and just declares that he is Iron Man.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, of course, that the iconic line from this movie that wraps it all up, but that that's that's Iron Man. And then, of course, there's a post credit scene, which uh, I'm sure
1: nobody stayed around to unless they looked up, you know, something because
0: (laughs) or or i mean this was i mean i don't know how much of this stuff was really being looked up but this is probably like friends telling people about it like oh man i heard that there is a scene after the credits which of course at the time i mean a couple of movies have obviously done post-credit scenes like ferris bueller did a post-credit scene but marvel of course has really popularized the whole trend of post-credit scenes so like now i mean I I, kn- I don't know about you but I basically after any popular movie I'll always look up on my phone if there is oh, a me too
1: scene. yep yeah. yep me too
0: yeah and that's you um, know courtesy of Marvel where every movie I have to check that oh is there a post credit scene but uh, but yeah of course iconic post credit scene where we get an incredible cameo by Samuel L Jackson playing Nick Fury and um introducing about... Iron Man yeah talking about the Avengers initiative
1: yep and uh that's when I think you know, the real comic book nerds all of a sudden you're know, like, "This is happening! Like, we are yeah. getting multiple franchises into one."
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I there, I it's it's interesting you say that because I think there were still question marks about it just because again, this was the first movie. There was really no way of knowing at least at in 2008 that four years later we would get an Avengers movie, but. I think just the possibility of it was so exciting. Um, And especially after how well the first Iron Man was done, maybe there was just the hope that they could actually pull it off. And of course, you know, they did, spoiler alert, but um, that was, uh, it was a great, great tease and a great end to a great movie overall. Um, So of course, Chris, what would you rate this movie after all of that discussion?
1: Yeah, I I think I'd rate it um, four and a half okay um really solid film four and a half out of five um really solid film all the way around like we've discussed our little minor critiques but i agree great focus on the characters great origin story great action great cgi um Mm -hmm. a real solid solid film and, and start to the marvel cinematic universe
0: yeah yeah you know um I, I would I would probably agree. I think I would either give it a a four and a half or like a four point two five or something like that. Just because you know I I mean it's it's obviously such a great start. This movie I I think I'm gonna go with a four point two five. So I'll just I'll just briefly mention that the way that we're gonna rate these movies for all all of the Marvel movies is we're we're going on a one to five scale and we are including quarter points here. So. Um, 4.25 for me is my rating. And I think that's because, um, you know, it's not a perfect movie. Like we said, um, you know, Pete, Tony has plot armor a couple of times. There's a couple of logical gaps, but, um, you know, this movie just has a magic to it. Like you, uh, it mm-hmm. feels grounded. It feels, Uh, lived in like it doesn't feel like these characters are all being introduced to one another for the first time it's you it it very much is sort of you're dropped into this world and these are characters that have been living with one another and have these established relationships and um you're very much just sort of privy to basically a very hectic couple of days and couple of days or weeks in their lives and um it's it's just such a great great start to obviously um, it was a great start to a franchise that's made billions and billions of dollars. And it, it really all hinges on the success of Iron Man and just how, um, how well it did and how much it, it, it honestly, I mean, it really did change the game of for superhero movies. Um, yeah. Which it, it took a level up, I think from here for sure.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. So, you know, four, four and a half, four point two five 4.25, not, not a, not a shabby way to start off Iron Man. Of course, I'm sure. A lot of people know that Iron Man is a pretty good film overall, but um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think with that, do you have, do we have anything else to say on this movie, Chris? I think that's, I think that's it for us. I
1: think that's it. I mean, I think, yeah, I think that's it. You know, they, they start the credits off by Black Sabbath's Iron Man. Of course. Um, Very, very fitting. Um, But yeah, other than that, yeah, I think we've covered a lot, you know, it's, hour and a half. And, uh, I guess our, our next, uh, next rewatch will be the incredible Hulk. So, uh,
0: yes. So stick around <laughs> for that. Um, of course, let us know what you think. Um, of course we, we tried to release this on the, the day that the original Iron Man movie came out, which was May 2nd, 2008. Um, so yeah, but thanks for, Sticking around and listening to both of us go on for almost an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes. Um, If you like this podcast, or if you have any questions or comments or anything else to add, you can reach out to us. We have our very own email address, the ostrich. It's just ostrichtechnique at gmail.com. That's O S T R I C H T E C H I N Q U E at gmail.com. I think I spelled that right. Did I spell that right, Chris? I think I did.
1: Uh, you know, I, I was not a spelling bee person, but I trust your spelling.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> technique at gmail.com. And yeah, if you have any thoughts or opinions on it, definitely let us know. We want to keep the conversation going and maybe at the beginning of the next um, episode, we'll read out some of your thoughts if there are any. Um, if there's anyone out there listening to this, but, um, yeah, I think that's all for us.
1: Um, my name is Ananth. And I am Chris and yeah, thanks thanks for for listening. listening.